Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Worship team for leading us as you guys grab a seat. Thank you guys. That was amazing. Um, so good morning, by the way. Glad that you guys are here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're very excited that you're here. Maybe your kids dragged you along because they were at VBS this week and they said, hey, we have kids cash that we have to spend on the weekend and so we have to be there. Um, I overheard, a, or actually uh, my, my mom actually overheard a conversation this week. Um, the two parents in there at the end of the week, they're saying, now they, our, our kids have all this kids cash. Where do they spend it? And one mom looks together and he goes, they make you come back on the weekend. That's how they get you. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's kind of the point, right? Like, we're going to get you. Uh, no, we, we just want you to come and, and to experience what we do here. And so if that is you, we're, we're just glad that you're here. In fact, we have something for you to take home, which is uh, this thing called the Butter Bar. If you go by the container, you'll grab one. Ooh, fantastic, all right? Uh, and so uh, make sure you get one of those. Um, a couple quick announcements before we jump into today's message. Um, next weekend, we're starting what we do in the summer, which is called Summer of Somebodies or Somethings, and we're going to have a speaker along with a bunch of activities that take place after service. So next weekend is kind of like an all-American theme because, you know, July 4th, uh, and so, yeah, and so we're going to have a ton of stuff happening on the patio, but we're also going to have a guest speaker. His name's Brandon Cash, and he is the chaplain for the Dodgers, and so that's going to be really fun to hear about his experiences traveling with the team and kind of getting to know them and some of the, the things that they, uh, they talk about, and, uh, and so that's going to be great. Be here next weekend for that, and then we're going to have something every weekend after that um, throughout summer, so we're going to have J.P. Moreland, if you don't know who he is, world-famous philosopher, uh, J. Warner Wallace is a cold case detective. We just got a bunch of different speakers. We got bands coming. We got a country night. We got a reggae night. We got a bunch of stuff, all right? Um, and so it's going uh, to be a lot of fun. No, no trees at the Reagan. Well, the tree of life, that's it, okay? It's the only tree available. Some of you guys, shoo. Okay, all right. Um, what else we got going on? Oh, in the fall, we have a bunch of concerts that we're going to be doing. So the first two are going to be uh, Jeremy Camp, who's going to be in October. And then, yeah, and then we have uh, Torin Wells, and uh, that's going to be in November. And so the tickets are available online right now. Or we have the Torn Wells ones available in uh, the, uh, in the uh, you know, out there uh, for sale. But uh, uh, Jeremy Camp, I think, will have those next week, okay? So make sure you put that on your calendars. And then, oh, um, I'm supposed to tell you about we got some new SCG summer gear, <laughs> okay? Okay, okay, this hat's for me? Great, okay, good. Uh, I guess we got a bunch of new different styles, and we got a bunch of stuff. We don't make any money off this. I think we lose money on it, but it's a way for you just to represent, like, SCG out in the community. And so, obviously, it's summer. Is this for me as well? Try it on. Try it on. All right, hold on one second. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, sun's out, gun's out for the summer, I guess. So, I'm trying to find some. Who did this? Give this to, there's a, there's a kid right there. Not you, not you. There, Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, we also have, oh, here we go. We also have a, a, a beach blanket, SCG beach blanket, which is very cool. Yeah, so you can go, and here you go. You guys are in the front row. You deserve it. All right, good. And uh, we got some of these things, too, which are great. So lots of good stuff. Um, here we go. I'm not giving it all away. They're not. Oh, you, I'm sorry. You don't like that? Okay, fine. Here we go. All right, there you go. This is what you get. You're in the front row. You can get all this free stuff. So anyway, you guys back there, you're never going to get anything. All right, nothing. Anyway, 
let's see. Oh, the last thing is, or two last things is, um, obviously, you know, we encourage you guys to continue to give, and we're so appreciative, appreciative of that. You can give online or you can give in the boxes on the way out. Um, and continue to do that and be faithful because as you've seen, we're ramping up around here and lots of good stuff has taken place. But if you want to give above and beyond, we got some messages from some of our ministry partners in Uganda. And that's something that we've been probably doing for about 15 or 20 years is partnering with different local pastors there. And they're in, uh, they're in real big uh, need of just resources. And so we want to be able to bless them with some money because their people in their churches are starving. Uh, literally, they have no food. And so we want to get them as, those resources as quickly as we can. And so if you want to give to that, it, it will be a drop-down menu on our uh, giving page on the website, and it'll say bless. And you can just give directly to that, and all that money will go to them, and we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated on that situation. We got a few emails this week just from pastors independent of one another saying, hey, we're really struggling here. Is there anything you guys can do? And we said, we'll bring it to the church and, and see what they can, uh, they can do. So uh, let's get started. So this week, I, I, I was watching a documentary. I don't know how I came across it. It was on YouTube, and it was about um, dissociative identity disorder. It, it used to be called multiple personalities. And on one hand, when I was watching this, it was heartbreaking uh, seeing what these young people, and there's all young people in this, what they were going through, and just the struggles and how they ended up there, and it just was a, a bad situation. But on the other hand, there was this philosophical scientific side, which I found really, really interesting. It's kind of what is taking place here? What is going on? And um, as they were interviewing the different people with this disorder, um, one person stuck out and, and they said this. They said, well, I have about 15 or so, I think it was 15 or 16 different personalities, and they're all independent of one another, and they have totally different attributes. So they could be different uh, races and genders and eth uh, ethnicities and life experiences. And in fact, one of them was not even human. It was a fairy was one of their personalities. Very interesting. And the way that they described themselves as, well, we, this is what we do. And as you listened, you realized that this person didn't think of themselves as an individual with all of these multiple personalities or these alters, but that they were all equally real. They were kind of like, um, there was a host body, but there was all these personalities and they lived in this host body. So it's kind of like a bunch of people in a car and then they just took turns who was going to drive the car. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then they went to another person and, and this person um, had a fear and their fear was this, and I wrote it down, is... She said, how do I know which one is the original identity and which ones are the alternate or alter identities? So they, they, they were concerned because they think, well, I think I'm Cody. Um, I think that's my original identity, but I'm not really sure because it could be any of these other alternate uh, personalities. And so it brought to my mind all of these questions in which I can solve none of them, of course. I'm not a psychologist. And, and yet there was this this question that I had as I started watching this is about identity. And it got me thinking about, well, how do we really determine who we are and who gets to decide? And it, it, what culture says about our identity and what Christianity says, are those different and there's different forms of identity? And, and so I started to read about the subject. And I went to people like uh, one of my favorite authors is Tim Keller, also a J.K. Uh, a. Smith, Charles Taylor's a philosopher, a bunch of other academics. And and here's what I've learned, and I want to give you kind of just my, my learning really quick and then what the scripture says about it. So the first thing I, I had to figure out was, well, what exactly is identity? 
And it's an interesting study, way more complicated than I thought it was going to be. As I dug into um, identity, there are so many different answers to the questions. There's even questions of if you are the same person throughout time. Like, is there a core identity that endures through time? Like, when you were 15 and you're today, are those the same people? And we would say, yes, but how does that work? And so that was really interesting. I'm not going to go into that. The, the part that I really wanted to focus in on was self-identity. How do you answer the question, who am I? So think about that for a moment in your own mind. How do you answer the question, who am I? Uh, it seemed to me that a lot of these people were saying that our identity is made up of a, a bunch of different pieces. It's kind of like an onion that has a bunch of different layers. And so within these layers, you have different parts of your identity. So it could be memories, experiences, relationships, values, feelings, beliefs, opinions, abilities, and even physical attributes. And all of those together make up the self. But there's obviously things about your identity that um, are more important than others. So, for example, uh, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a parent, I'm a husband, and I'm also the owner of an old pickup truck. That's one of my identities. Actually, two pickup trucks. One drives, one doesn't. So, we'll say one for now. Um, now, those are all pieces of my identity, but they're not all equal pieces of my identity. Some are more important than others. And so the more important that piece is of my identity, I would say the closer it is to the core of who I am. And so one of the, one of the things is that I wanted to discover is, well, what is at the core of my and your identity? What is the thing that is most important to me? And so at that very core, I think it takes a couple things. Um, your core identity has to be durable. It has to be able to, to be the same in different circumstances and from day to day. So uh, I am Cody in this church in Cypress, California, but I am also Cody if I were in a prison in Iran. There's something about me that makes me me no matter where I'm at. And there's part of my core identity also brings me value and worth. It's what makes me unique. It makes me different than everybody else. And so the way that I think we answer what is at the core of our identity, we have to look at, well, how did we, how did we form our identity? And I learned that our identities are heavily influenced by the culture that we grow up in. And we don't realize it, but the culture around us communicates how we are to think about ourselves and what parts of ourselves we are supposed to value. And so let me give you kind of two contrasting versions of this. The first one is what I would call, and, and many sociologists and psychologists and philosophers say is a traditional view of identity formation. This is sounding a little academic. Don't worry, we'll get to the practical in a minute, but let's set it up. Okay. Traditional identity formation. This is an identity that is given to you, like according to either the society or the family or the class that you were born into, you were given an identity within that group. And with that, you were given a specific role. Here's what you're supposed to do. And if you fulfill that role, that's where you find your value and your worth. And so um, if you've ever traveled before, uh, you've probably seen this in Eastern cultures and cultures that are more traditional. So I've been to India a few times. And in India, they, they say that the caste system is outlawed, and it is, but there's still obviously remnants of it. And so you see that people who were born into very specific classes and, and in families are given specific jobs. And it's not like they can work their way up. This is it. You were born into this role, and you just got to play this role for the rest of your life. And, and it happens generation after generation after generation is you're born in this family, this is the role that you're going to play, and then hopefully your next time around, because I believe in reincarnation, next time around you're going to get a better one. So just know your role and play your role. Or if you go to places like Africa, when you meet somebody in Africa and you, you ask them the question, well, tell me about yourself. What's interesting is they would answer it completely different than you and I answer it. 
Because you and I would answer it with something like, well, here's what I do, here's my job. They would answer it, well, here's the, here's the region of Uganda that I'm from. I'm from the north. Here's the tribe that I'm a part of. Here is my mother and father in that tribe. Here, and they would just go down the list, and then maybe they would tell you something about them as an individual. Like, well, here's the job that I have. I'm a pastor, I'm a cook, I'm a whatever. And so this is kind of what identity formation looks like in a more traditional culture. It's you're born into your role, you're born into your identity, and your value comes from fulfilling it. And, and to be honest, there's a lot of benefits, I think, to this types of identity formation, because it just takes a lot of pressure off. Doesn't that just sound nice sometimes? Like, look, we'll get to the problems. We, we know that there's obvious problems, but does that not just sound nice? You just, um, you give me my job. If I do it well, <laughs> you know, everybody celebrates and I'm good. If you've ever managed people before, you kind of think, you know, there's a lot of days which I'd just rather not do this. Just, I don't have to go out and I don't have to forge my way into this world. I don't have to create. My, I just get to go out and do what I'm told. And then at the end of the day, people go, good job. That sounds kind of nice sometimes. The other thing that it does is I think it brings a lot of unity amongst the community. Ooh, that was good. Where's, that? Where's Amy? I was going to tell her. Write that down. She's not even here. Um, is, uh, I don't even know where I was talking about anymore. Where am I? I was about to start. For free. Doyle's not the only one that can wrap around here, you know. I got skills to pay the bills. <laughs> Anyway, uh, is it hot in here? It's hot. Is it hot up here? I'm hot up here. Okay. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah, unity. So uh, part of this uh, identity formation is it makes you a part of a community that you can belong to, that you can have these deeper relationships, that you can be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And so there seems to be some benefits to this traditional way. But, of course, we see the obvious that there's some oppressive things in this identity formation as well, is you have to just play your role, but you don't get to express yourself as an individual. You don't get to use the gifts and talents that I do believe God has given each one of us in order to fulfill some of our hopes and our dreams because those are really irrelevant. Those are secondary. It's all about putting the group first, and then maybe you can uh, fulfill some of your, your wishes. And so that's why we, in the modern West, we've kind of gone the exact opposite direction when it comes to identity formation. Our formation of identity is by looking deep within ourselves and discovering or deciding who we really are. And then we're going to go out into the world and we're going to live that truth. And so we ask things like, what is my deepest desire? What are my hopes and dreams? What are the things that I value? What do I think my purpose in life is? And then we go on these journeys of self-discovery to figure those things out. There's a show that Amy and I have been watching for, uh, it's been a couple seasons now, it's called Alone. And it's where these people go out into the wilderness, like just these really desolate places, just rough places. And they see who can last the longest. And they're by themselves, hence the name, alone. And, uh, and what's funny is some people go out there and they're like, well, I'm doing this because I need the money. Like my family needs the money and I'm good at survival things. But there's other people who go, well, I'm just really trying to find myself out here. And I think, find yourself. I'd rather find myself in a five-star hotel. I'm not going to find myself out there. That sounds horrible. You're going to find yourself in the ERs where you're going to find yourself. <laughs> but, but it's funny because it's so part of our culture that we have to discover ourselves. We have to find ourselves. In fact, we've taken this idea to such an extreme that our, our whole goal in life is self-actualization 
that we not only will not allow any individual people or even um, society itself to tell us who we are, we are so much about defining ourselves that we won't even let reality or nature tell us who we are anymore. Is, is we're going to, if reality does not correspond with what I feel internally, well then that means I'm just gonna have to change reality, either by forcing people to agree or by convincing them that they're wrong. And so let me give you an example. Look at your favorite social media influencer. You look at their pictures. Their life is incredible, and it is totally fabricated. That is not real. That's not reality. They don't look like that. They have filters. They have editors. They look, they're not that skinny, right? Like, that's not what their life looks like. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's why that tank top won't fit me. I just need a good editor. Is, is they have come up with this idea of here's who I want to be. Here's the image that I want to have. Here's my identity. And so I'm going to shape the reality to reflect what I feel internally. And so I'm just going to convince everybody this is who I really am. This idea permeates our culture. Uh, it's in some of uh, what we consider truisms. Just these sayings that we throw out there. If you've ever, uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but have you ever followed um, the, the like gym quotes people, you know, where they quote motivational quotes like for the gym, you know? You don't know what I'm talking about? You don't go to the gym, you're not on social media, you're denying the fact that you've done that. Okay, forget it. All right, here's some of the quotes that they, they just sound obvious to us is we're told all the time, just be yourself. Live your truth. You do you. Follow your heart. Don't let anyone tell you what to be. These are things that we have probably said ourselves, something that we've been told over and over again in our entire lives. But think about this. Just be yourself. That's not good advice. That's horrible advice. Just be yourself. If you were just being yourself for one week, you would have no friends left by the end of that week. <laughs> you wouldn't. Because just being yourself sucks. Because you suck. And I suck. <laughs> if I were just being myself, do you know how many people I would have, have just pulled a pit maneuver on as they cut me off? I would throw them into a ditch so fast if I were just being myself. <laughs> do you know how many people I would just... just smack the smirk off of their face <laughs> when they disingenuously say, I'm sorry you feel that way when I know that I'm right? Oh, please let me be myself just for a day. Give me a pass, right? Right. And so it's, just not, it's, not, it's not good advice, just be yourself. But, but it's just what we're taught from, from childhood. So uh, my sister, her favorite movie growing up was The Little, Little Mermaid. And, yeah, oh yeah, it's about to get sad in here. Uh, it was The Little Mermaid. Think about what the narrative is of Little Mermaid that we're teaching kids. Don't listen to your parents. Don't worry about what your community says. They're all wrong. You need to find who you want to be and pursue it. Go find your Prince Charming. Go out there and you do you. Ugh. I mean, it's cute when they're little kids and they dress up, but then when they get teenagers and they start living that out, it's not as cute anymore. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit. My daughter, um, although she is mature now, she's almost nine, um, says she doesn't watch this movie anymore, although when, it came, when Frozen 2 came out, we were, we were about it, is uh, think about the narrative of that. L let me just read a couple lines from the most popular song, Let It Go. 
and see if you can catch what the message is that they're putting out here. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. I don't care what they're going to say. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Oh, that's a great song, right? Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, I hear in the front row, like, this is what they're being taught? No wonder they don't listen. Yeah. So uh, I think it's pretty obvious what the cultural narrative is here, right? This, we don't even see it. We don't even realize it. This is just the, the, the air that we breathe is go out and find yourself. Be yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what to do or who to be. And of course, there's incredible benefits to this is, is there are great things that come out of this is we get to realize some of our hopes and dreams. We get to look in and see how we've been gifted and the talents that we have and make progress. But there's, there's some obvious problems with this view, especially when it's taken to the extreme, which by the way, this view originated in Christianity, by the way. If you go back to the 4th and 5th century, there's this guy named Augustine, and he is the one that talked about this, is, is being an individual because you were made individually by God in order to do something specific and, and, and with your life. But let's talk about a couple of the problems. First one is this, is if this is how we find our identity, there will always be conflict in our life. So let's say that we look deep down within ourselves, our, our dreams and our desires, what happens when we look in there and there's two desires that we have, but they're conflicting with one another? Then what do you do? So let me give you an example. Is if I look deep inside of myself and I say, you know, when I think about who I am and what makes me valuable and what gives me worth, and, and I think about being a family man and a businessman. Is I want to be described as somebody who loves their wife and their kids, but is also a, a shrewd business person. So if those are the things that are at the core of my identity, what happens when those come in conflict? Because they will. Because both of them want your time and your energy. And you have a limited amount of both. And so you're going to have to decide which one do I give more time and energy to. Now, my hope is that you'd pick your family, right? Is I'm going to give my family more. But here's the problem. Although I think that's the right solution, you're still going to end up sad at the end of the day. You're still going to be disappointed. In fact, you're going to have an identity crisis because you're always going to say, what if? Yeah, I mean, I have to choose. Do I want a lesser career or a lesser family? And if I choose a lesser career, I'm always gonna think I could have done a couple more deals. I could have made a little bit more money. The company could have been a little bit. I could have ended up a little higher if I had just done this. And so you will not only feel like you had a lesser career, because that is so much a part of your identity, you're gonna feel like you were a lesser person at the end of the day. Second problem is, is there, there will be loss. Is... Um, building our identity on our desires and, and our dreams, and is when those things are taken away, we lose not just that thing, but we lose who we are. So uh, there's this movie, and half of you guys have probably seen the movie. The other half, you'll have to explain to them. Um, <laughs> it's such a dumb movie. It's called Zoolander. And uh, yeah, yeah. Zoolander, if you don't know the movie, is uh, Ben Stiller is Zoolander, and um, he is the world's most famous male model. 
And he has been on top of the game for a long time. He is, he, you know, he's had an incredible career. But then this young guy comes along, young guy, uh, Owen Wilson, as a male model. And he starts to take over, and Zoolander starts to get pushed aside. And there's this one scene in which, and I don't remember how the setup happened, but Zoolander is looking into this puddle in a gutter, and he says, who am I? And in that moment, it's not like he's just lost a job or his reputation might be at risk. What's at risk is his identity. This is who I have been for so long. As I lose this thing, I don't know who I am anymore. And I've seen this happen all the time, is I lose a relationship, the money is spent, the career is over, and at the end of the day, I don't know who I am now. But let's say it's not that dramatic. Let's say that just as time, as time progresses, your desires change. And so growing up, my life was all about motocross. I thought about it, I spent all of my, that is what I spent my time and my money and my energy on, is I was all about motocross. But then as I got older, I got out of high school and I went to college and I didn't quite have as much time and then I, eventually I got married and my wife told me it wasn't important anymore and so I'm like, yes ma'am. And so <laughs> we sold the bike and, and what happened is, is for so long my identity was wrapped up in this, this hobby of mine that I didn't really know who I was. I had to continue to reinvent myself, find a new identity, because this identity has changed over time. And so it's not just you lose the relationship or the career or the hobby, it's you lose yourself. Third thing is, it's an illusion. We think that we are rebels, that we're the ones who are deciding for ourselves who we wanna be, and we're forging our way in this world. It's just an illusion, it's not true. Let's do, a little, let's do a little time machine scenario here. Let's go back to 1200 AD, and we are in the Mongolian Empire, and our emperor is Genghis Khan, sweetheart. And we sit down with a 30-year-old man who is a part of uh, the army, and we say, you know, why don't you tell us about yourself? Why don't you tell us about your deepest desires in life? And he tells us about two things that he says are his deepest desires. The first one is that he's a warrior at heart. Is that he likes to go out there. It's not just that he will fight. He loves to fight. He loves killing the enemy. He has this bloodlust within him. It's just something that he thinks about, that he loves, that he wants. And within that society, that aggression is seen as leadership. And so he probably is seen as a hero. But then he has this other desire. He says, yeah, and I'm also attracted to other men. Well, that's a problem because Genghis Khan had outlawed that and the penalty for it was death. And so guess what he had to do? He had to embrace one part of his identity, his deepest desire, which was his aggression, but he had to reject another part of it, which was, which was his sexuality. Now let's run that same scenario. Let's say that we jump in the time machine, he comes with us and he lands right here in Southern California today. What do you think is going to happen? The exact opposite is he is going to have to reject one part of himself, the aggression. In fact, he's going to get sent to a therapist. He's going to have to deal with those issues of why he likes killing people, right? And have to work that out. And then he's going to be told to embrace his sexuality. Same person. But what's the difference? Why, why do we have the opposite, um, so, uh, the opposite ending? Different culture. Simply the cultures are different. And one culture says, here's who you are, and here's what you should value. And the other culture says, no, here's who you are, and here's what you should value. And so here's my point. 
is we think that we're just these independent, free spirits. We're going to go out and we're going to be ourselves. We're going to just express ourselves. No, you're not. You're not. You are so dependent upon the culture around you to tell you who you are and what parts of you you should embrace and which parts of you you should reject. And so we have this illusion that somehow we're forging our own identity. No, you're not. None of us are. Because we are very much shaped by the culture around us. Number four, it will end up enslaving us. When your identity is based solely on what you do, what you can achieve, you have to get up every single day and prove to yourself and the rest of the world who you are and why you are valuable. And so it's not just a job that you have, it's an identity that you have. You have to keep climbing, you have to keep doing more. It's not just that you are beautiful, it's that you have to be beautiful because that's who you are. You have to continue to fight the aging process and to keep up with all the trends. It's not just that you're a parent. It's that you have to give those kids everything because if it fails, you're a failure. And what ends up happening is when those things, whatever it is, becomes your identity, it will end up crushing you because you will fail. And when you do fail, it's not that you failed at this thing. It's that you are a failure of a person. And the last one is it kills unity. So I was thinking about this a lot this week, and I, I think I've got a little bit of insight, and, and you know, I'll, I'll run it by you guys and see what you think. Is I think I've got a little insight into why there's so much divisiveness within our, within our country right now. Like, we've gone from a place in which we could see somebody whom we disagree with and just think, well, they're just wrong. But now we see them as they're evil. And so how is it that we've gone from people that we disagree with being wrong to people are, are evil? Here's what I think might have happened, is... We have started seeing our own views and ideas as the core of our identity. And so when I have um, something that is an idea or a view or, or even a lifestyle that is at the core of my identity and you disagree with me, it's not just that you are rejecting this idea or this view, it's that you're rejecting me. And I can't have that because I can't, my, my identity is too fragile and so if you reject me, I have to reject you. You're not just wrong, you're an evil person. And if I find my value and worth in, in this idea or belief or, or lifestyle or whatever, if that's where my worth is found and you don't have that same value, if that's where my value is and you're not that, then you're not a valuable person. I see you as a lesser person. There's no, no coincidence that we can't find common ground anymore with people that we disagree with because we don't just disagree on these simple things. We, we literally reject one another if this is who we are. There's a new twist that I see um, happening in identity formation. I, I think it's starting to emerge, and I'm sure that lots of people are thinking about it. And, um, and I'll call it the postmodern way to identity formation. And it seems to take the worst of both systems and put them together. Here's what I mean. Is it seems to look at pieces of your identity. And so let's say it's your gender, race, sexuality, nationality, religion, class, politics, whatever. It takes all of those pieces of your identity, and then it identifies one of those as who you are. So it plucks that piece, and then it puts you into a group with a bunch of other people who have that same identity marker. And then it overlays it with a bunch of beliefs and expectations that you're supposed to have. Even if you have nothing in common with the rest of the people who have that one identity marker, now you're placed into that group. And what I say is it's the worst of both is because it, it sees you as an individual just long enough to take an identity marker and put you as a part of a group. And eventually it divides everybody into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. 
So I think the, um, the thing that we're looking for, and I've boiled it down at least for today, to, to do things when we're talking about identity formation. I think we're looking for an identity that is received, not achieved. I think that all of us would like to have an identity that um, it's not based on what we can do or we don't do. Even religious people, we fall prey to this. Is all the religions in the world say, here's how you can impress God. Here's how you can earn your way into heaven. You have to be devout. You have to be good enough. You have to give enough. You have to serve enough. You have to. It's still the same problem. It's an identity that is achieved. What we need is an identity that is received because if it's not, it's going to be fragile. It's going to be trapping. It's going to enslave us, and eventually it's going to fail us. That's why the, um, the scripture says that in Matthew 10, 39, this is Jesus talking. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is great. This is 2,000 years ago, and he always, Jesus just continues to impress me. You guys should really check him out. Um, is he says, if you try to find yourself, so if you're going to go out and you're going to find your true identity, who you really are in your core, you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up disappointed. It's going to fail you. However, if you lose yourself, and what he means by this is if you give your life over to me, if you make your identity not about what you can or cannot do, but you make your identity solely about your relationship with me, the fact that you have given your life to me and I have forgiven you, I have offered you eternal life and I died on the cross on your behalf. If you make that the core of your identity, you're gonna have an identity that not only is your true self, one that is stable, one that is durable, but you're also gonna find incredible amounts of freedom in that identity. In fact, you're gonna get to pursue all of those things that you used to make your identity in freedom. Because it's not just going to be a job, or it's going to be a job that doesn't define you any longer. It's just a job that you can enjoy. The relationships aren't relationships that, if they fail, you're a failure. The relationships that are good things, but they're not ultimate things. See, Christianity is the only system in which your identity is received, not achieved. If the traditional way is your identity is given from um, what, what people say about you, and the modern view is what you say about yourself, the Christian view is what God says about you. And so if you do give your life over to Christ and you make your identity uh, uh, solely based on your relationship with him, here's who the scripture says you are. It says you are a new creation. You are created on purpose for a purpose. That you are forgiven, you're loved, you're an, you're an heir, a child of the king, you're strong, fearless, a citizen of heaven, a temple of the Lord. You are a warrior. That's who you are. And there's nothing that's gonna take it away because you didn't earn it. It was something that was done on your behalf, something that you received in your identity is secure. Here's the other thing I think we're looking for is an identity that brings unity and diversity. Stick with me, I'm gonna get deep for just a second here. I think we're looking for unity and diversity. What I mean by this is, is the traditional way, I think, brings unity amongst groups or unity in the community, as they say. <laughs> they didn't say I said that, but you wrote that down? You don't have a pen and paper? I don't see anything. It, oh, it's up here? <laughs> okay. Yeah, very memorable. Thank you. Tweet that. You have a Twitter? Hey, we'll talk later. Um, <laughs> unity and diversity. Traditional way brings unity, a deep connectedness in communities and in family and being able to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself, and I think we want to keep that. But we also want the diversity part. We want to be able to express ourselves as individuals, to be able to use our God-given talents 
and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. And so we want to take both of those things. And here's what's interesting is we so want to have an identity that is formed and expressed in unity and diversity. And there's a reason for that is because you were made in the image of a God who is the essence of unity and diversity. See, as Christians, we believe that God is three persons in one, the Trinity. And at God's very core, we see that he is unified. There is one God, and yet there are three persons. There's a unity in diversity. And so it's no wonder that all of us are looking for that. It's no wonder that we want their, our identity to be formed in, and expressed in unity and diversity. And here's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He paints us this picture, and he says that the church, this, this living organism that Jesus has created, it ultimately is unity and diversity. It's kind of like the human body. He says, like the human body, there's all these different parts, and they're unique and then they're put together as a whole. And so you have this unity and diversity. That's what's supposed to be, take place in the church. The church is not just some place that you come to for an hour on Sundays. The church is supposed to be this living organism in which you plug into and you bring all of your talents and all of your gifts, that diversity, and then you come together in unity for a common goal. See, the church was supposed to be so much bigger than just a place we come together and hang out for a little bit. It was supposed to be a place in which you ultimately can find who you truly are, and you can help other people find who they truly are. My wife comes, uh, or uh, sometimes my, people come to my wife, and if you don't know, she was one, this singer here, <laughs> super talented, um, working on brownie points for later. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, people come up to her all the time, and they say, hey, you know, why don't you pursue like a music career? You should go out, and you should do something with that talent. And I get it, like they're trying to affirm her and it's, I totally understand, but she just kind of looks at him and goes, what do you mean I should do something with it? Like I am doing something with it. No, no, I, you know what I mean though, you know what I mean, like go out and like you know, do something. And she goes, well I am doing something, because here, here's what you don't see, is I have found exactly what I was made to do. I have these gifts, I have these talents, and I get to use them in a context in which I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm a part of a, of a body that is heading in a direction of honoring God and making Jesus known in the world. And so I get to have this unity in diversity. Why would I want to go out and try to find something else? This is what I was made for. And so I think, um, well, I'm going to run out of time. Let me, let me finish with this really quick. This last week at VBS was really fun. I was here every day during all the worship sessions and all that kind of stuff. The kids just go nuts. And it's just, it's a great time. And as I'm looking at all these kids, and, and I'm thinking about my own kids, I think, you know, I love this age that they're at because they're innocent. They're just having fun. They don't care who's watching. It's just a great time. But I, I thought, you know, there's, there's going to be a time soon, and it's probably already happening, in which somebody or something is going to shape their identity. They're going to start to ask questions like, who am I? And people are going to come with answers. And I just... I just so want, especially of my own kids and of your kids, is I want their answer to be, you know, first and foremost, I, I'm a part of Jesus' family. I've been adopted into, and so he, here's what I get worried about. I think about my daughter as a 13-year-old girl, and just all the questions and the awkwardness and the, oh, who am I and what am I doing, and then all the things that people are going to pressure her to do to answer that question, and the heartbreak and the regrets and just the, all the, trying to impress people, I just... Oh, I want her so to avoid that. 
And the way that I think that's going to happen is if I continue to remind her who she is, not by what she can do or how she looks or who she's friends with. No, 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 none of that matters. It's by who you are in Christ. And so I've started to communicate a different type of message to my kids. We'll see if it works or not. But the message that they hear all the time is, you can be whoever you want to be when you grow up. And so I've started telling them, you cannot be whatever you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but we're really giving it a shot right now. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I think part of my responsibility as a parent is I have to, I have to shape and steer um, them in life and help shape their identity. And so I can do that through affirmation of here's who I have seen God make you to be. Here's the gifts and the talents. And the, I, I see those in you and I continue to affirm those things. But I also try to steer them away from things that I think might either get them in trouble or just not be for them. And so uh, this last week, we signed my son up for, um, he is about to be seven. We signed him up for uh, football, uh, you know, flag football. And so he said, Dad, I think I'm going to be a pro football player. I said, well, you've never played the game, so that should be fun. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> And he goes, no, I think I'm going to be a, a pro football player. I said, son, here's the deal. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. He goes, what do you mean? I go, first of all, you and your mom and I, we're not going to let you be, we're not going to let you play that long. It's probably going to be a couple years, and then we're going to quit. Okay? So just get that in your head right now. You got about three years, and then we're done. All right? So once it gets past black, it's, it's over. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Plus, you're tiny. It's not, you are not made for this game, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, I ain't quarterback. No, I don't care. It's done. He's over. And he just goes, oh, all right. I'm glad we got that out in the open. You should probably find a new career. Find some new goals. <laughs> it was a lot easier than tell him when he's 15. I'm like, let's just get it out in the open right now, buddy. It ain't happening. <laughs> My parents did the same thing with me growing up, by the way. Oh, I'm going to be a motocrosser. I mean, nah, you're not. It's not going to happen. You're, you're not that good. And we're not going to spend that much time and money on it. So sorry. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I was like, oh, all right. Last time I shared my hopes and dreams with you. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things that I have to do, uh, you know, even as I, I think I know who I am, is I have to continue to remind myself who I am. And that's something that has to be done on a daily basis. I have to just constantly preach to my own heart, Cody, here is who you are. And there's these tendencies, especially during times of failure in which if I fail at something, I go, oh, I didn't just fail at it. I am a failure in life. I can get really dramatic really quickly. I am a failure in life. Or if I do something where I feel like it's a success, I'll go, oh, Cody, you are somebody. And then I'll go, wait, mm, tomorrow, maybe a new day. Do you really want to ride that roller coaster? Because it'll come crashing down pretty quick. And so I just have to go, you know what, Cody? In times of success and then failure, you, you're still good. Does Jesus still love you today? He does. Okay, then you're, you're fine. Because I, I, and this is true of pastors, is we have the tendency to be able to live and die depending on what happens here on the weekends. Like if we had great services, I'll, what? this is the best thing ever. But if it doesn't, it doesn't go well, and I just like, I'll spend the rest of the afternoon reflecting on things that I've just said to you, and I'll go, I cannot, oh my gosh, just turn the lights out, close the blinds. I don't want to see anybody. I just, I, I can't right now, right? And I just eat my feelings for the rest of it. It's a mess. Anyway, and I have to remind myself, Cody, here's what your job is. Your job is to do your best, to be faithful, and then take a nap. That's it. That's my job. That's what I boiled it down to. Cody, do your best, be faithful to what God has called you to, and then take a nap afterward. 
I'm going to do that today. I'm going to nap so hard after this. I'll probably have a double-double, and then I will take a nap. <laughs> it's going to be great. Because I can't live or die depending on what happens in this hour of the week. I've got, to be, I've got to have something more foundational than that. I've got to have an identity that can withstand it. And so I have to consistently preach to my heart, Cody, here's who you are. Here's who your true identity is. And yeah, you're going to try your hardest, and we're going to be faithful, and then you're going to just let it go. Okay. <laughs> so here's how I want to end the service. Is a couple questions. Maybe you're kind of visiting and you, your, your kid came to VBS and you're like, I don't even know how we ended up in this place. So let me just ask you a very simple question. If you can be honest with yourself, what is at the core of your identity? Like, what are you building your life on? What is the thing that if it got taken away tomorrow or you never realized that dream, you would almost lose your sense of self? I just want you to wrestle with it. I'm not even telling you to do anything with it. Just think about it. For the rest of us who say that Jesus is the, the core of our identity, or at least we want him to be. I want to give you just a couple moments. I know we're over in time and feel horrible about it. Um, <laughs> the Bible never said we're in and out in an hour. You know that, right? Some of you guys are like, excuse me, hello. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, take it up with Jesus. Um, I want to give you the opportunity. And, and here's kind of how I know that this is, I think, supposed to happen, is this week I, I reached out to the worship team and I told them, hey, here's what I think I'm going to talk about and here's some ideas that I have for songs and, you know, take it or leave it, whatever. And then um, on Friday afternoon, I realized I had written a completely different message than what I had told them I was going to do. And so I said, hey, you know the stuff that I told you guys that I was going to talk about? I'm not talking about any of that stuff anymore. So, like, what do you want to do? And then I remembered that Nick, one of our worship leaders, um, he had reached out to me the week before and suggested this song. And I said, hey, man, that's not going to work. That's not going to connect with what we're talking about, anything like that. And then I heard it on like a playlist. And I went, oh, that song's really good. And then I thought, oh, Nick suggested that before he even wrote this message. That's right. It's almost like these coincidences. It's like, is there a God? Maybe there is. It's like weird, you know, how it all comes together and stuff. I don't know. Think about it. Um, and so here's what I wanted to do is I wanted to end with this song. And it's a song that really gives you the opportunity to preach to your own heart. Here's who I am. And in the song, it uses the word Jira. And it's, it comes from the Old Testament, and it's where God provided a sacrifice for Abraham instead of his own son. And he says in that moment, Jehovah Jira, meaning God sees me and God provides. And so it wasn't just in that situation in which God provided and that God sees you and he knows you and that he cares for you. It's supposed to be a name that reflects this is who he is. And in fact, we see the, 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 in the, the uh, New Testament that come to the climax of providing and seeing us. But here's what I want you to think about. In this song, it says that we're enough. And it's because, not because we're so awesome, not because we've done so much, not because, but because he has provided for us. And when he provides for us, he says that we are enough. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.